We could do that every Sunday, and that would not hurt my feelings at all. Goodness gracious. Woo! Well, it is so good to be with you here this morning to worship the Lord and to celebrate all that God is doing in and through us. I, don't, I, I always feel a little bit, uh, uh, what's the word I'm, I'm looking for, a little bit uneasy with the announcement time at the beginning because I don't want you all to get lost in all of the details. But at the same time, as we were sitting there this morning, I found myself thinking, okay, there's nothing to be uneasy about. Uh, because everything that was said this morning is evidences of our effort to be in the community, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to be salt and light in the world. So these weren't just announcements. They were declarations of our faithfulness, our attempt to be faithful to the call of God on our lives, to serve those he came to save and to shine his light. And, and that's not boring. That's exciting. That there are opportunities that, that we had to start from the end of the year and work our way back through the holidays and add a few extra things in there because we're just so busy in the community. i got to tell you a story. It has nothing to do with the message, but it was pretty exciting. I went to Atlanta this week to, to work with Mission Serve. And to do a board meeting, Mission Serve is the agency. We do our uh, short-term summer mission trips with the youth group every summer. And uh, so I went to the board meeting, and when the board meeting was over, I was sitting at the airport waiting for my plane to come, and I sat down next to this gentleman, and a gentleman strikes up a conversation. Now, I'll be honest with you, when I get done with big meetings, I don't want to talk to anybody, so I usually have my headphones in, and I'm ignoring everyone around me and not being very pastoral. But anyways, I'm sitting there, and the gentleman says to me, hey, man, where are you from? So I'm like, ah, oh, man, I'm going to have to talk to this guy. And so I'm like, well, I'm from Seymour, Indiana. You probably don't know where that is. He said, actually, I do. I went to Indiana State University to run cross country. I was like, all right, cool, man. Very good, very good. I was like, what do you do? And he said, well, I'm a, I'm a regional rep for Nike. I live in San Francisco, and, and I'm out here for a wedding, but, but I work for Nike, and, and I, I, I'm with community engagement. That's my job. And I'm like, wow, that's cool, man. I love Nike, and I talked to him about my bright, my bright shoes. He's like, well, what do you do with all these bright shoes? He's like, well, I'm a pastor, and I preach in those shoes. And he's like, well, that's cool, man. Like, like any specific one you like? I said, I just like all the bright colors. I love all the bright colors. He's like, cool, I love those too. And, and he said, so not to be rude, man, but you don't look like any pastor I've ever seen before. I was like, me too. <laughs> Thank you for the compliment. So I start talking to him. He's like, well, with, with your look, I got to guess your church pretty innovative, right? Do you, do you guys do? It's like, I don't know that I'd call us innovative, but we do some different things. And I talked to him about Oktoberfest. And I talked to him about the, the fall fest that we're looking to do. And I talked to him about the, the 200... 50 food baskets and pies that we're giving out. And I talk to him about the people that we try to help and the people that we're feeding and the way that you as a congregation are gung-ho about this and, and how we're just so intent about demonstrating the love of Jesus Christ in both word and deed. And he said, man, that's awesome. He said, you know what? I am coming to Indianapolis later this year to go do the Indy Marathon and, and to represent Nike while I'm there. Would it be okay if I got together with you and talked about some of the things you're doing? And I was like, that would be great. Here's my business card. He said, yeah, what we would love to do is come down sometime next year and let you guys hand out Nikes to people in your community who need shoes. And I was like, that's what I'm talking about. So just for all of you that, that maybe don't love my bright colored Nikes, it paid off, all right? It paid off. 
So we're excited for that opportunity. I'm definitely going to follow up with this nice gentleman, and, and we're looking forward to that opportunity next year. But God is doing some amazing and incredible things, and I hope you're excited about that because I am. I'm so proud of what God is doing in and through you and excited to be a part of it. So may God continue to lead us as we move into the future. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we turn our attention now to his word. Father God, we thank you so much for your goodness and grace. You are so, so, so good to us. Lord, I can't think of anything better to be doing on this Sunday morning than what we've just done. To celebrate your goodness and grace and your great salvation through the baptism of Sophie. Lord, to celebrate your continued work in and through us through the, the various missions, missional opportunities, whether they be uh, Operation Christmas Child Boxes or, or fall festivals or handing out candy to kids, Lord, these opportunities that allow us to engage with the community and share the truth of the gospel, that Jesus has come and died, was buried, and rose again to save us from our sins if we would accept your gift by grace through faith. Lord, we are humbled that you would allow such as us to be a part of this important work. We pray that you'd help us to be faithful with what you've entrusted to us, that we would continue to, as Derek likes to say, write checks that we don't know that we can cash, trusting that you, God, are the God of all resources and you will come through for us. God, show us the ways that we should invest who we are, our time, our talent, yes, Lord, and also our treasures, our financial resources for your glory and the good of this community, that you might be known, you might be glorified, and that all in our community might come to saving faith. Lord, work and move in and through us. Help us to be all in for your gospel in Jesus' name. Amen. I've thought and thought all week about what was going to be my opening, like how I was going to go into this, and I couldn't get away from this. I, I don't know when it happened, but at some point in the last decade, playing poker became a professional sport. Do y'all know that? Like if you turn it on ESPN, sometimes you can't get around the World Series of Poker. Now, listen, I don't care what you call it. Like, I, I love baseball, but I struggle to watch it on TV. You can call it the World Series or the Super Bowl of card playing, but watching people play cards is like watching paint dry. It is the worst thing in the world. And I don't care. Like, my brother-in-law and I have this conversation all the time. He's like, no, when you're playing cards, there's strategy to it. And you got No, it's just guessing. Can we just call it what it, it is? educated guessing and hoping against hope that you, you can lie better than the person across the table. Right? That's what it is. And I, I just, I can't watch it. It is boring. I don't like to play cards. I don't like to watch cards. It, it's just not my, not my thing. But there is one time where I don't mind watching the World Series of Poker. And that's when the person decides they're going to get really froggy and they're feeling pretty good about their position and they go all in. I like that. There's something about the risk of saying, hey, look, I am so confident in my ability or what is in my hand that I am going to put everything that I have on this and I'm going to let it ride because I have faith that what I have in my hand and what is available to me is superior to anything else at the table. There's something about that that, that excites me. I, I've only ever sat at a, a card table one time, and it was for my brother-in-law's, uh, for my brother's wedding uh, bachelor party. And, and it did not go well for me, right? Because we were like two hands in, and I think I had a pair in my hand, and it was like a pair of tens, and there was another ten on the table, and I was like, I'm all in! And so I was out by like the third hand. I am not good at this particular event, and I took that as a moment to preach against the evils of gambling and how we lose things. 
I was invited to not stay in the basement any longer. But you know what? There's something to be learned there. The the, the willingness and, and the hope and the faith that is behind someone willing to say, I am willing at this moment because of what I see and what I believe to be true, I am willing to put it all in the line on the line. I'm all in. I cannot think of a better metaphor for following Jesus. That that is what Christ asks of us, that we would slide it all to the middle of the table and say, I'm all in. I don't know what's coming. I don't know what's coming on the turn. I don't know what's about to happen. But I believe that what has been entrusted to me is great enough that it is, it is worth the risk. It is worth the effort. It is worth putting my resources into. I am all in. I am 100% going with this. That's what Jesus wants from us. We've talked about it for the last two weeks, and we're going to talk about it again, because it's something that we struggle with. It's one of those things that we hear in a sermon, and we're willing to say, amen, yep, that's where I am. But do we live that? Like, is our, is our lived reality same as our confessed belief system? I think that's what Jesus is asking. Three times in the Gospel of Luke, we see these stories where Jesus is talking about, hey, if you're going to come follow me, Fair warning, I will save you by my grace and my salvation is a gift of free grace. But following me is incredibly costly. Remember, two weeks back, you've got to hate father, mother, spouse, children, brothers and sisters, and yes, your own life. You've got to to despise your own life in action in order to follow me. You've got to be willing to lose it all. There can be no higher priority, nothing you seek more, nothing you serve more, nothing you love more than me if you're going to follow me. Got to be willing to put it all in line. Last week, what did Jesus tell the rich young ruler? The rich young ruler comes in and says, good good teacher. Jesus says, look, ain't nobody good but God alone. You ain't all that. Just want you to know. So this is what it requires. All of these commands, have you done it? And the guy's like, yeah. And Jesus says, look, you may have jumped through some religious hoops, but your heart is wrong. You lack one thing. Go and sell everything that you own and give to the poor, then come talk to me. Then you come follow me. Says the man walked away sad because he was extremely wealthy. A big ask. Hey, you've got to be willing to put all other relationships secondary to me if you're going to follow me. Hey, you've got to be willing to put all of your financial and physical resources on the table if you're truly going to follow me. And now we see Jesus as we look into Luke 19, and and it's adjacent to last week's passage. We were in Luke 18 with with the rich young ruler, and Jesus saying, hey, you've got to be willing to give everything you've got to come follow me. And the guy goes, hey, that's sad. I'm sorry. Uh, Thanks, but no thanks. I'll, I'll stick with my stuff. We read this story then about a blind beggar who receives his sight. A man who couldn't see. And then right after this, this this man who is spiritually blind, who will not give his, his earthly resources for a heavenly reward, we now see a man who physically is blind and physically is given sight. And right off of that, we come into the story of Zacchaeus. Why are these stories in this particular order? And then right from that, we go into the the entrusting of the kingdom resources to the stewards and being faithful stewards of, of the kingdom of God. Why does Luke put these passages in this specific context and in this specific order. 
See, this is one of the problems with, with limiting ourselves to, to an hour-long service where we look at one little chunk of Scripture is that we pull it out of its context and sometimes we miss important points that are inherent within the text. Luke, these, these stories are not, you know, we like to think of the Bible as being completely linear because we think in linear fashion, right? Event A leads to event B, which leads to event C. That's not the way the gospel works. You understand that, right? That the reason the gospels are moved around at times is because the author is putting the stories oftentimes not in a linear order, but in a subject matter order. And that's particularly with Luke, the, the academic, the doctor, the historian. He is putting these stories adjacent to one another because he is building a case. And I want us to consider that this morning. Why are these specific stories, including last week's, placed in this particular order? How are these stories connected? And what is Luke trying to communicate to us? If you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, and we're going to start in verses 1 through 10. Luke 19, starting in, verses, in verse 1. And it says this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up at him and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed Jesus gladly. All the people saw this and began to murmur, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to serve, to save the lost. We're going to press time out there. In a minute, we're going to go on to the next passage, but, but we're going to take a time out there and we're going to consider what's going on in this text. And I want us to consider a question as we think about this and think back to last week. I'm not going to reference the story of the rich, rich young ruler and his refusal to give Jesus access to everything he had. But, but keep that in mind. We have a man who refused to give everything he had, and then we have this man who voluntarily gives his resources. And the question I, I, I feel we need to ask ourselves this morning is, are we all in for Christ and his kingdom? Are we all in for Christ and his kingdom? We sing the song, right? All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. Or are we just saying this morning, we sang the song and you sang it with great gusto and passion. You all sounded amazing. We said, there's nothing that's better than you. There's nothing that's better than you. Are we buying what we're selling? Do our actions and attitudes align with what we say we believe? Now the passage tells us some important details about this man, Zacchaeus, right? It tells us that Zacchaeus was, as the song says, a wee little man with a big bank account, doing whatever it was, requ was required to catch a glimpse of Jesus. 
That's, that's what's going on in the story. And, and, and actually, we can understand it in several ways, this idea of Zacchaeus being a little, wee little man. And for those of you that, that don't know the song, there's a Sunday school song, and it goes a little bit like this. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree. And he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. Right, that's how the song goes. Interesting, this morning, I was standing out at the door, and I said that. We're going to talk about Zacchaeus, the wee little man. And the guy that was standing there said, and a wee little man was he, right? It's inside of us. Zacchaeus was, in fact, the song is not wrong. Zacchaeus was, in fact, a wee little man. Zacchaeus was small, physically small of stature. He was, in fact, according to the text, short. Luke pulls no punches. He was a short guy. He has to climb the tree. He, brother was so short that he couldn't look over the crowd. He couldn't find a good vantage point as people were coming to see over the people. And so as he's like moving and, and weaving, he's got two choices. I can cut through the crowd to try to get to the front so I can catch a glimpse of this Jesus that I've heard so much about. Right? This, this man that, that heals the sick with the touch of his hand. This man who commands the wind and the waves. This man who casts out demons and controls the spiritual world. This, this man is coming by. And it's not just that this man does these amazing things, but this is a man who does not care about the social order. This is a man that, that even if you are a dirty, rotten, terrible sinner, an infamous sinner, if you will, Jesus will meet with you. Loves everyone and is, is about giving second chances to those who are broken, those who are hurting, and those who have royally messed up their lives. Zacchaeus just he just wants a picture of, he wants to see Jesus. He wants a good vantage point. He's not trying to talk to Jesus. He's not trying to interact with Jesus. He just, he just wants to put eyes on him. But he's too short. Zacchaeus was small of stature physically. But Zacchaeus was also, the, the song has like that double entendre. Like there, there are two things it's communicating. Because Zacchaeus was also small of stature socially. People did not think much of Zacchaeus. And that's not actually true. They thought about Zacchaeus a lot, but they would love nothing more than to literally put a knife in his back. It's one of the things that's missed on the story, that, that Zacchaeus is not just climbing the tree so he can get a good vantage point. He's climbing the tree because it is his only legitimate option to see Jesus. See, it was common back in the day when, when you would get a shot at, at one of these these traitors, these people that were complicit and, and were wronging the people of God, there were people that were looking. Actually, one of them was a disciple of Jesus, a zealot. They carried around little knives, and then if they had the right opportunity, which if you're walking and mixing and mingle with a the crowd, they just come up behind you and bam, bam, bam. And Zacchaeus is a little guy. Ain't nobody going to see what happens. He's walking through a crowd. The crowd's going to clear. There's going to be a dead short man on the ground. And Zacchaeus, rather than risking his life, opted to go for the path of indignity. You realize that, right? That Zacchaeus climbing the tree was an act of incredible humility. I mean, how many of you dressed in your nice clothes today are desperate to go climb up in a tree when we get done this morning? I mean, there's probably two of you, right? But most of us are like, man, I don't want to mess up my, I'll be honest with you, I don't want to mess up my shoes. 
One doesn't, one does not wear J's up into a tree. Right? It's not, it's not what someone does. Zacchaeus is dressed to the nines, right? He has no friends. He has, he has no one to turn to. So all he's got is his wealth. So he's probably wearing the nicest garb. He was a chief tax collector, so his clothing would indicate his position. And that's something else for us to notice. Zacchaeus was not just a tax collector. He was the king of the local tax collectors. He was the manager. Like he wasn't just stealing from the people. He was stealing from the people who were stealing from the people. He's several layers deep into this. Ain't nobody looking to mix and mingle with him unless they can put him in the ground. Zacchaeus was small in stature, but he was incredibly large in his bank account. The man was ridiculously wealthy. He wasn't short on money. Dr. Diane G. Chen writes this, Zacchaeus' business success is achieved by charging people more taxes than what the Romans actually required, lining his own pockets by dishonest means. Zacchaeus' wealth earns him neither respect nor status. His infamy may be summed up by his traitorous collusion with the Gentile overlords and the shameless exploitation of his own people. So yes, Zacchaeus is climbing the tree to get a better vantage point, but he's also doing it to protect his own personal well-being, but he is willing to do whatever it takes to just catch a glimpse of Jesus. But what's most interesting in the song, like we love that part of the song. We love that part of the story that Zacchaeus, this, this short guy climbing a tree because who of us cannot relate to being in a crowd where we can't see over the person who will not sit down at the concert in front of us? Or that person that comes in with a six foot tall hat and sits in front of my five foot two wife? You just can't see, it's obscured. We can relate to that. But the amazing part of this story is not that Zacchaeus hears about the famous teacher that's passing through his area. What's amazing is that the famous teacher, the son of God and God in flesh, was looking for Zacchaeus as well. Verse 5 tells us that that if we look at the text, it tells us in verse 19 that Jesus was just passing through you got to wonder, did Jesus in his heart and mind have it in mind that he was going to stay in, in Jericho that day? Now we can say, you know, Jesus knew all things. Of course he knew. Maybe, maybe not. The text actually doesn't tell us. The text actually tells us that Jesus is just passing through. He's heading on his way. He's heading to Jerusalem. he got things to do and people to see. But, but as he's walking, he sees Zacchaeus. And I like to think actually that maybe Jesus did know Zacchaeus was there. And he beelines for him because we see that. Whether it's because in his heart and mind he had decided he was going to see Zacchaeus or he just happened to catch a glimpse of this rich little man hanging out in the tree, Jesus beelines for the tree and says to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down right now. Come down because I must stay at your house today. Jesus is communicating urgent necessity. Urgent necessity. But you know what's interesting about that is it's not really about what Jesus must do, but what Zacchaeus really needs. The necessity is on the part of Zacchaeus. And Jesus has what he needs, and, and only through the interaction with the divine Son of God can Zacchaeus find what his heart and soul and his life truly needs. 
Jesus' actions clearly illustrate what he says, though, while sitting at at, at Zacchaeus' table. It, It illustrates for us what Jesus was actually about, right? You know, Jesus could have gone to any house that was available in the town. And, and he, that's why people were mad that he didn't go to one of these wealthy, righteous men's house and celebrate and affirm their righteousness. Jesus wasn't, wasn't on a seek and celebrate mission. Jesus was on a seek and save mission. And I fear that sometimes we get that twisted. That we want to be celebrated for our good deeds. We want to be celebrated for our righteousness. And while it's not wrong for us to take a compliment now and then, while it's not wrong for us to recognize the things that God has done in and through us, it is wrong when we make that the point. When we abdicate our responsibility to do as Christ did and to go above and beyond to seek and save those that Christ himself died to save. See, this is, this is the core of kingdom living. Following Jesus means making every effort to reach and rescue the lost rather than coddling and congratulating the found. Let me say that to you one more time. This is the core of kingdom living. Following Jesus means making every effort to reach and rescue the lost rather than coddling and congratulating the found. It is giving of ourselves once we've been found by Jesus, to join him in his mission to reach the lost with his saving grace and the truth of his gospel. You know what's interesting here is that, that Jesus asks to come and have dinner with, with Zacchaeus. And, and Jesus is actually asking a lot and Zacchaeus is more than happy to oblige. Like how bold would that be? Like, how, how, how are you going to respond if I come up to you after the service and I say, hey, I'm coming to your house today for dinner because I must need go to your house today. Like, y'all going to be like, who do you think you are? I ain't clean today. I don't know that I'm ready. I don't know that I have food in the refrigerator. Who do you think you are? But you got to think, if I come and invite myself to your house for Sunday dinner, I'm not just inviting me. I'm inviting myself. I'm inviting Michaela. I'm inviting Robin. I'm inviting JJ. Jesus was even more significant, though, right? When Jesus comes to to Zacchaeus and he says, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. Come on down and go make lunch. Jesus is not just taking Jesus' self. Jesus has a posse of people, a veritable city of people that are traveling with him. I mean, we know that there's at least 12 and four women that were always with him. The number could be anywhere from 16 to 100 some people that are going to come invade Zacchaeus' crib for lunch that day. I I only tell you this because this is a harbinger of about what's about to come. That Zacchaeus, even now, is revealing a change in his heart in the reality of what he believes. That Jesus coming to him and saying, hey, Zacchaeus, get on down from that tree. We're coming to your house. We're hanging out with you today. And Zacchaeus saying, absolutely, come on down, is a sign that Zacchaeus is already being changed and his heart is being aligned with the mission of Jesus. He's more than happy to oblige. It says that he he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. But then it it, it only gets bigger when they're sitting at the, the table. 
Because as they're sitting at the table, people who are watching, the righteous, that, that are standing around looking and saying, man, what is wrong with this guy going and eating with these sinners? I don't, I don't know if Zacchaeus heard that, but it wouldn't have been a surprise to him, would it? Zacchaeus knew that everyone hated him. But I'd like to think that Zacchaeus' actions are not in response to what he's hearing, but in response to what Jesus has said and done for him. Because Zacchaeus takes his obedience and his, his act of, of faith even further. Zacchaeus doesn't stop by offering Jesus just the resources that he would need for that day. He demonstrates that he is all in for Jesus by offering all he has to demonstrate his faith. Look at verse 8. Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord. Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, I am not a financial guy. I'm not a financial wizard. But if Zacchaeus is giving 50% of all that he owns to the poor, that's a pretty substantial gift, right? That's a pretty substantial act. Then he says, I will give whatever I took plus 300% interest. Right? Am I thinking that right? It's four times, right? Whatever I've given, four times what I've, I've taken, I'll give that back. How is it possible? Is it possible that Zacchaeus did this without going broke? I, I would argue not. That this is the exact polar opposite of what we saw with the rich man earlier. Rich man says, look, I, I got a lot of stuff, Jesus. You cannot rightly expect me to give away all this stuff that I worked so hard for to people out there who, who didn't work for it. Jesus, what are you talking about? Thanks, but no thanks. Zacchaeus, without being asked this, says, look, everything I have is on the table. I, Jesus, this, this mission that you're on, I just wanted to see it, but now that I have a taste of it, I want, I want to be part of all of it. 50% of my entire assets I give to the poor and I'm going to pay back everyone I cheated which is a lot of people four times what I took that is a dramatically changed life that is someone who is fundamentally changed at their core by an encounter with Jesus and can there be a more polar opposite between the rich young ruler than Zacchaeus I mean, I mean we're, we're given these, these two very stark examples. The requirement has already been told to us. If you're going to follow me, it's all got to be on the table. It's all got to be on the altar. I need access to everything about you and everything you have. And Zacchaeus says, done and done. Take it all. I just want Jesus. He went for broke for his new Lord. He didn't ask. Okay, so Jesus, well, just tell me. What's this going to cost me? Like, how, how much you want, Jesus? Can we negotiate the price? That's what the, that's what the rich young ruler wanted to do, right? Like, what's this going to cost? Like, how much? Everything. <laughs> Let's try again, Jesus. How much? No, I, I want it all. Zacchaeus is like, Jesus, it's yours. I don't care. I don't care about none of that. I want all of this, whatever it takes, whatever I can give to be, a, Jesus, I just want to be a part of it. 
Yes, I want it for me, but I want it for them too. This is too good for me to keep to myself. Jesus says to Zacchaeus, he declares that that what Zacchaeus action Jesus declares what Zacchaeus' actions have already demonstrated. That Zacchaeus had been radically changed by his encounter with Christ. That he had joined the kingdom initiative, that he was part of the family of God. Jesus says in verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house. The most obvious application is to Zacchaeus and his family. They had found and accepted salvation and had come into the fold of Jesus. But Jesus is talking about more than that moment. Christ's wording announced that in this moment and for all moments to come, salvation and sonship had been made available for all who would believe and follow. Including the sinners, including the righteous, including the wealthy, including the poor. Zacchaeus' sacrificial offering served as evidence of his newfound faith and as a humble announcement that he was all in. You know, I find it interesting that we just did baptism this morning because baptism is a sign that we are all in for Jesus. It's one of the reasons that we as Baptists celebrate baptism by immersion is the symbolic nature of the entirety of the body going under the water. The entirety of the, ent- of the whole of ourselves, our very lives, dying to, to, to sin and coming up to live a new life. Right? Those are the words I say every time and I never get tired of stating them. Buried with him in baptism. Raised to walk in newness of life. It is, it is meant to be a humbling act. It is meant for us to, to, to step and lay ourselves humbly before our church family and before Christ himself to announce publicly that I am willing to do whatever to follow Jesus. I cannot tell you how many times in my life I've had people tell me, yeah, I'd be happy to be baptized, but can we do it like at my house with just me? I think I'd just be too embarrassed to be in front of everybody. And to me, I then have to have a discussion about you don't understand what baptism is. And maybe you don't really understand what salvation is. Baptism is a public declaration of a private belief. See, our faith is not meant to be private. You cannot live the Christian life on your own. You were not meant to declare and, and, and do this faith thing in the privacy of you. Faith should never be a private thing. It should be very public, incredibly, imminently public. We should be wearing our faith on our sleeves. And not just on some corny t-shirt, though I do love me a corny t-shirt. Jesus should just be part of our everyday vernacular. Jesus should be a part of the way we treat people every day. And yes, it should be word and deed. It should be the things that we do, but also the things that we say. We see that in the life of Zacchaeus. But what's interesting to me is that Jesus goes immediately from the story about Zacchaeus the tax collector into the parable of the ten minas. Right? That's the story that we like to talk about when we come to a time of, of stewardship. These servants that have been entrusted with this resource and, and how they increase the investment. Go ahead and look at your Bibles. We're going to look at Luke 19, 11 through 27. Mind you, 
Jesus is still sitting at the table with Zacchaeus. And it tells us that. It says, while they were listening to this, Jesus went on to tell them a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and he gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however. Returned home. Then he sent for all of his servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, you take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words. You wicked servant, you knew, did you? That I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put the money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. So we see the story. Not altogether unfamiliar. This is one variation of it. We have ten servants that are all given one mina apiece as the master goes off to become king. And this is immediately following Zacchaeus giving all that he had. Now, ten servants are given one mina apiece. A mina was about three months of wages for the average man. Three months, a quarter of a year's worth of wages for the average person. It's not a small amount of money. The instructions given to the servant, servants are this. Put this money to work until I come back to collect. The core idea of this story is stewardship of kingdom resources. And it comes right on the heels of Jesus telling a man to go sell all he owns and give it to the poor in order to come follow him. And then a man, that man leaving sad because he was super rich. And then the story of Zacchaeus, a super rich man who voluntarily gives away his fortune in order to follow Jesus. Jesus is providing foreshadowing. He's giving us these examples and providing foreshadowing of this coming events. He, of course, is the king who was who going to be rejected because the kingdom wasn't set up immediately, but made king all the same and who will one day return to settle accounts. His followers are the servants who are entrusted with kingdom resources to invest and grow his resources in his absence. And the message is clear. That you and I are expected to be faithful with what Christ has entrusted to us. We are to utilize and steward the available, valuable resources God has entrusted to us. And, and I think there are multiple layers to this. Because the person that, to, to whom the mina was given, they... It wasn't just a matter of slinging the money. They had to work. They had to put effort in, right? Like that is the expectation. The servant, even the servant who didn't do what was expected said, look, I know that you are a hard worker, Lord. 
I know that you be on the grind all the time and that you bring it back in. And, and I knew that, but I didn't act on that. Where these other two servants are like, listen, we went hard at this, Lord, and you gave me one, here's ten. You gave me one, and here's five. Both of the first two servants received favorable evaluations and promotions because they made the most of the resources entrusted to him, them. See, something that we've got to understand, we, we often compare ourselves to one another, and what did they do, and should I do with, we, we kind of do the older brother and the prodigal son thing. Well, what, what effort did they put in, and what return did they get? That's looking at it enti- entirely the wrong way. Because it's not about just what we get out of it. We've already been given something of imminent and great value that is greater than anything we could have, right? The pearl of great price. We have been given our eternal salvation and life that we could have and live to the full, not just for eternity, but today, right now. And part of living that full life is understanding our purpose and using the entirety of our being to make the most we can of that. See, I would love, I, I actually wasn't going to talk about this passage because I don't want for us to think that the, the thing that is entrusted to us is your money. That is entrusted to you. That is, that is something to understand that your financial resources are a gift of God. And that, yes, you are expected to utilize those in the advancement of his kingdom. I don't want for us to think that, that the thing that was entrusted to us are intrinsic abilities and gifts. That our talents are what is this valuable thing. that It's valuable, it is valuable, and it's important. But you know what, what has given to us that really matters, what we really need to invest and to work with? It is the kingdom of God itself. I don't think that sinks in for us. That we have been entrusted with the very truth of salvation. That whether or not people come to Christ, absolutely, God does all the saving and God is going to do what he's going to do. But whether or not some people here is to some degree dependent upon whether or not we will be faithful stewards of what God has given to us. The one servant fails. The failure of the final servant isn't in doing the wrong thing. It is in doing nothing. Couldn't decide which, which, which fear this man had. Did he have a, a telephobia where he's afa- afraid of failure? That he's afraid that, that what he does isn't going to be perfect and so therefore he doesn't do it? Or is it decidophobia, that, that he just can't make a decision about what needs to be done, and so therefore, rather than doing the wrong thing, he does nothing. I think too many of us have that, because we can't think of the right, the perfect thing to do, and because we can't do all of the things that we do nothing. But Christ expects for all of us to do something. And each of us has something that we can do. We have things, gifts, abilities, financial resources that have been entrusted to us that we can utilize for the advancement of the kingdom of God. The things that we do are not just to grow First Baptist Church. It is, as much as I love seeing this place as full as it is right now and hearing the loud voices, the, the only reason that that is even part of the point is because it represents people coming to Jesus. It cannot be about building the brand of First Baptist Church. 
It cannot be about us looking good or, or thought of well in the community. Those things will take care of themselves if we simply follow, follow Jesus and do what we were commanded to do. It always needs to be about growing the fame of Jesus, helping people to know and receive his gift of grace, helping people understand his salvation and his love. Yes, helping people see the path to redemption where their lives change fundamentally and eternally like Zacchaeus. But it starts with us boldly placing all that we have and all that we are on the line, humbly reaching out to those who are not like us, to those that we might, the world might call less than, to, to those the world might see as undeserving and wel welcoming people that don't look like the, the normal clientele into our church to be a part of what God is doing. That's why I love it when I'm sitting in, in a place at, at the, the Delta Air console or whatever it is in, in Atlanta and the guy's like, you don't look like any pastor that I've ever seen because I want to have a church that looks like nothing that anyone's ever seen before. Not because I, I dislike tradition. I love it. But what I want is I want to see a church that actually looks like the New Testament church. Where people are coming to Christ so fast and furious that we don't know what to do with ourselves. Where, we're, where we have so many resources being given that we're not really sure how to, to organize and administrate them. we got to create more groups to, to figure out how to utilize these to continue growing the kingdom. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's not just about this church. It's about the kingdom of God. God doesn't expect any of us to fund the ministry or do the ministry on, on our own. God does not expect us to change the world through our efforts. God, and God knows our abilities, he knows our limitations, and his expectations are perfectly consistent with how he created us and the gifts with which he's entrusted us. Obedient action is the key, the outcome we leave with God. Inactivity is a failure to invest in the advancement of the kingdom of God. And inactivity assures failure and displeasure from the master. You see, Jesus is our Lord and King. Our salvation begins when we declare that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But that declaration must move to action. We have a responsibility to work for a return on his investment in us. Jesus is our Lord and King, and we have a responsibility to work for a return on his investment in us. It's not optional. We are to invest all that we are in making known all that he is, so that all who would might come and find salvation, might find life, and might find their place within the kingdom of God. If we've accepted God's gift of saving grace, we have been entrusted with something of infinite value. It is once again the pearl of greatest price for which we should be willing to sell everything. It is a treasure invested with the expectation that it would be expanded. True, faithful stewardship requires us to manage all of our resources in efforts to invest and grow the most valuable treasure God has entrusted to us. The truth of the gospel and salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. 
And ultimately, stewardship is about marshalling every aspect of our lives, all that we are, all that we have, as best we can to care for and expand what matters most, the kingdom of God. Are we willing to place it all on the altar today? Are we willing to give Jesus all that we are and all that we have in order that he might do what only he can do? Are we willing to seek and save the lost and celebrate the Savior that does the saving? May that be true in our lives and in our actions today and every day. Father God, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace to us. We thank you for the great calling that you have placed on each of our lives. That we get a chance to serve your purposes. Lord, here in our temporal lives, Lord, that are so fleeting, Lord, that we get to have an eternal impact through what we do and what we say. God, we pray that you would work in and through us for your glory and for the good of the world. Lord, I pray that you would speak to each of our hearts, that you would speak to us on how we should contribute to what's happening here at First Baptist Church. Lord, financially, yes, that you would help us to consider what we should give, that we would commit in our hearts, and that we would offer of our financial resources to help in your work, and that we would be faithful in that. But Lord, that we would also take part in the many, many opportunities that are available. God, I pray that so many people would volunteer for the many missional opportunities that we have, that, that rather than, than being nervous that we have too many, that we would be nervous that we don't have enough. God, work and move in and through us. Guide us and direct us by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. Make us bold. Make us generous. Help us to be faithful. And may you one day say to us, well done, my good and faithful service. You've been faithful with little. I will entrust you with much. God, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.